0: Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. In honor of Pride Month, the Startup Canada podcast network is celebrating the contributions and achievements of LGBT plus entrepreneurs. Join us as we chat with LGBT plus founders and support organizations who are challenging the status quo to build a more inclusive world. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Kai Scott of Trans Focus Consulting in Vancouver. Mr. Scott is a social scientist who has devoted his 15-year career to solving complex social issues, especially those related to vulnerable and resilient populations. He uses a blend of discovery and decision methods to bring greater understanding and solutions to issues of gender diversity for people and systems. Kai is the president and gender strategist for Trans Focus Consulting, a venture that brings systems thinking to gender inclusion, helping organizations transform from the inside out." I really like that line. Kai, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Okay, one of the first things we do in the Startup Canada podcast is we want to assure our very busy entrepreneur listeners that uh, this uh, next 40 minutes or so is going to be a worthwhile investment of time for them. So can you tell me what uh, entrepreneurial points, what sort of tips or lessons you hope they'll take away from our conversation today?
1: Absolutely. Uh, my biggest tagline is just go for it. I'm like a very encouraging individual, whether it's you're thinking about trans inclusion measures within your organization, uh, or whether it's a pivot that you're thinking of, or, you know, just more broadly in society. You know, I think there's a lot of thought that sometimes goes into it. And of course, planning is necessary, an integral part of things. But uh, I'm right now kind of more in action oriented mode. And so that's the, the top advice that I have have for entrepreneurs is less thinking, more doing, and you've kind of figured it out along the way. Uh, as with anything, especially entrepreneurship is very much a journey that unfolds as you go. Uh, it's not like you can plan out the steps uh, in, in detail. It's just starting and embarking on the journey. And that's the same with diversity and inclusion as well.
0: Interesting. Can you tell me about a time that you went for it? Just sort of on the job when you had a choice you could either think or do.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, I worked in the mining industry in my past career. And uh, there were various points where people were, you know, asking questions and causing hesitation. And there was a particular uh, course of action, especially as it pertains to Indigenous people uh, that I went for that wasn't popular at the time, that wasn't well understood. uh, But that was very important, say, for example, traditional knowledge or Indigenous knowledge. And, um, you know, I just boldly went forward. And of course, now 10, 15 years later, there's much more understanding around it. And it's, you know, the business as usual, really. So it's, um, you you sometimes just have to take that uh, bold stance and move forward, um, even if people aren't ready to receive it just yet.
0: Right. I I like to think that thinking is important, Mm -hmm. yet obviously doing is important. How do you weigh the balance in deciding when to go for it?
1: That's a really good question. I I end up trying to uh, achieve a state of flow as a way to action things. So it's not that there isn't any planning and, you know, and certainly what we do uh, within the organization is very much oriented around, you know, developing a plan to, to set things into motion. Um, but, you know, for, for the work that I do, it is very much about a flow state that really brings about the actions almost um, organically and intuitively uh, in ways that maybe are surprising sequence to me as a, you know, somebody who who does plan occasionally. But of course, you know, even the best laid plans change along the way. So, being flexible and adaptive is really key as well. Because sometimes when people create plans, they're really invested in them because they took so much time to develop. Uh, So there's a a bit of a a trade-off there uh, in terms of not spending too much time on that planning aspect and and really getting into the action because the action will shed light on what needs to be done. And then uh, at least myself, I'm more responsive to that uh, as it emerges.
0: Okay. So tell me a little bit about TransFocus Consulting. You know, I think I understand it from having checked out the website and 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 from the from from the name itself. But uh, tell me a little bit about what you do and what your what your hopes are for the organization.
1: Yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned the name. We try to make it really obvious uh, what we're about uh, and our. our- we have our focus uh, is very much on transgender and non-binary and two-spirit inclusion within organizations and what we do that in two different ways we provide education to organizations uh, for their staff for their strategies uh, but then we also provide advice uh, timely advice and that can be at a few different scales but uh, There are some companies or organizations that are ready to do the deep dive and have an assessment of their organization to understand exactly where the pain points are for transgender, non-binary, and two-spirit folks. Or there can be kind of a a lighter level where, you know, they just want some advice uh, or a review of a policy or strategy or set of guidelines uh, to get them started on their journey. And so we really just meet people where they're at uh, and take them to the next uh, level uh, whenever and wherever they're ready.
0: It's mind boggling. I I, I, how long have you been doing this? Because I can't imagine this industry existed, I don't know, 15 years ago.
1: Oh, definitely not. I mean, I think what, what existed before was really passionate, um, you know, consistent and involved folks or individuals trying to push things forward. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of um, people who have made significant contributions. Uh, however, you know, there's only so much one can do as an individual or even collectively in like small localities. And so really, you know, to answer your question, we've been working since 2016, uh, Before that we were uh, working in a volunteer capacity and then it made more sense to shift into a consulting practice uh, to make that sustainable across various industries and sectors and organizations that were starting to express an interest in what we were doing.
0: Right, who is your target market Uh, on your website? You list a number of big organizations Mm -hmm. um, from Capilano University to Ernst & Young, uh, SAP, Alberta Blue Cross. Um, is, is is your is your sweet spot? Big organizations, small, medium.
1: Fantastic question too. We do serve do serve uh, large organizations, uh, but we also serve small and medium-sized companies mainly because it's nice to have a mix between the two. Uh, Oftentimes, large companies are able to do the bigger assessments, which are really valuable and rich. Uh, Getting an an understanding from their stakeholders, both internal and external, whether they be employees or customers, really gives them a sense of kind of where they're at, a temperature check, and what they need to do to change that, especially around challenges. However, with the small organizations to medium size, they can often pivot much more quickly with the changes. And so we can, you know, kind of let them know what the 16 or so recommendations typically are, and then they're able to more easily action them because their systems are generally not that complex. And so it's uh, sometimes where I'll say, oh, you know, you might want to consider changing your first name uh, options within your, um, say, employee records uh, so that there's a legal name and a a chosen or lived name uh, because oftentimes for trans folks, there's a difference there depending on how they've changed their documentation or if they've not changed their documentation. And so, that's just an example. And then in some instances, they'll change those right away the next week. And I'm like, holy smokes, that was fast, you know. Uh, but with larger organizations, there's more to consider, there's downstream effects. And so, it's a more considerate, uh, deliberative effort to to get that changed and can it, um, take anywhere from a half a year to a year to to, to do well, especially if they have multiple systems at play.
0: One of the things that drives consultants crazy is often the fact that you, know, you you do a lot of work for an organization and present them with your best recommendations, and then they don't act on them. Does that mm. happen in your business, or are they you know, usually pretty good about embracing these kinds of changes?
1: generally very good. Uh, I think it takes time for organizations to absorb, especially if they do a full comprehensive assessment, uh, which can be in the tune of a, depending on the organization, anywhere from 150 pages to 200 pages. So, it is quite a full um, set of recommendations and substantiated with rationale and explanations. And of course, you know, the voices of stakeholders, uh, as well as some quantitative statistics. So, it's quite robust. And I think that takes takes time to really digest for an organization uh, to then be able to action. And certainly the low hanging quick wins uh, are often easiest for them to execute on. And then it's thinking through the kind of longer term six months to a year, two year, three year plan around it. And so that's where often we get called in to further support that implementation process because often. As one knows, with change management, uh, the devil's in the details, right? And so uh, we've been doing actually quite a bit of shift towards more implementation side support, which I find encouraging because that means those recommendations are being taken very seriously. And, you know, the further uh, detail or explanation is needed to take that next step. Right.
0: Well, that's when you know you're having an impact when you get to work with the implementation of it, because A, it means mm. they're listening, and B, it means they're trying to do it right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely.
0: Fantastic. And and does this scale for small business owners? Let's say you know there are lots of small business out there that don't generally hire consultants, and they usually you know get along. Um, but this is <laughs> something that uh, that you can't just make up out of prior experience so so do you have a solution or an answer to small businesses which don't have a ton of money but want to try and do the right thing
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we, we have been generating a gender-intensive, uh, gender diversity intensive course. It's an eight-week course that allows people, so it's a kind of a one-time uh, cost to get that real in-depth insight into how to do an assessment or what's involved and what are the solutions that are typically at play. And then they can take that information and apply it within their organizational context. Uh, so, that's one way of, of managing that. And and certainly, we also help provide kind of spot advice along the way. So, say an organization, a smaller organization, starts their journey and you know has changed a policy or. S- a- developed uh, inclusive washroom guidelines or whatever the tool and we can come in and and just say you know provide a review of that and and a meeting and you know just to kind of talk it through or if it's say gender data uh, on surveys and forms Uh, so we can kind of jump in and jump out as needed uh, in more of a flexible dynamic way and that is a little bit more cost considerate uh, around it so there's there's many different ways that we we can and have worked and certainly I think smaller organizations, they do have folks in their midst as well. If they're not wanting to engage consultants, uh, that they can, you know, rally their internal people to get insight into what they need and want to write, say, um, an equity, diversity and inclusion committee, or maybe even a trans and non-binary specific committee as well, depending on, on the needs and the complexities of the systems.
0: Right. Wow. I love your phrase "cost considerate" because um, <laughs> it's you know it, 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 it's so important to uh, to these organizations that. Can't afford, you know, the normal professional solution. So I'm glad to hear you're doing that. So tell me a little bit about the the entrepreneurial journey that that led to TransFocus Consulting. What was your go for it moment?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I kind of mentioned previously, uh, there was some there was an aspect of volunteerism that kind of started planted the seed, uh, and I actually really kind of promote volunteering as part of the entrepreneurial journey. So uh, with the Vancouver Park Board, uh, there was a committee that was struck to, uh, or sorry, a task force that was struck of seven trans, non-binary, and two-spirit committee members. And we came together to answer the question, how do we make recreation more inclusive of trans, non-binary, and two-spirit folks? And we spent a year answering that question. And we surveyed, you know, staff, we surveyed community members, we um, conducted focus groups and interviews. And, you know, we collected all the data, essentially. Uh, You know, I I might have had a small role in that to to put that all together uh, as the data nerd that I am. And certainly that started very early in childhood. So that uh, I I remember going door to door knocking and asking people about, you know, their level of happiness in the community, in the neighborhood. Uh, So, from very early on, I've been curious about the world and wanting to get in from, like, collect data about it. Uh, So, after that, that year-long process, we came up with 77 recommendations, which we gave to uh, the Vancouver Park Board, and they voted those in unanimously. So, all of them unanimously. It was a very powerful moment for the community, one that we felt we were heard, uh, that action was being taken, that it was a non-political issue, right, because there were many different political parties represented. And basically after that, we got a lot of media coverage uh, from that uh, across Canada. And then people started to invite us to their conferences, whether it's a professional conference or, you know, um, municipalities, uh, you know, various other organizations. And after each one of the presentations where we showcased what we did, uh, people, there's kind of a deluge of people came up afterwards and said, can you do this for us? And that's when we had that kind of um, light bulb moment of holy smokes, we're really tapping into a great need and certainly a volunteer effort going forward is not really a sustainable model. And so, that's where myself and one of the other task force members got together and basically had a a conversation about what we could do to kind of move this forward and decided to start a consulting practice. I had already had a consulting experience, as I said, within the mining industry uh, doing social impact assessments. So, I I was already well aware of what, you know, the different... uh, aspects of, of, you know, setting up a project and client management and systems and, and all that. So, we just went for it. Uh, basically, our first, uh, our quote, marketing uh, was a, we each put Facebook posts about our uh, new business and that was it. We have not really done substantial marketing beyond that. Wow. <laughs> and that that was enough to get the ball rolling and it, it picked up steam uh, almost immediately. Yeah.
0: So is word of mouth uh, your best marketing tool now?
1: word of mouth and also speaking engagements. So, we do go to conferences, I mean, now pretty much virtually, uh, but where we do speak on and present on topics and, you know, uh, engage audiences and questions and, and kind of position ourselves as thought leaders in this um, kind of niche market. And so, the kind of word of mouth combined with the speaking engagements really provides that powerful um, one-two punch. So, that's, that's essentially our marketing. We are going to step up our marketing game as, you know, you know, we offer, you know, courses and also membership sites, those kinds of things where we want to reach a broader audience. So we are starting to think through that. But in the five or so years we've been operating, we haven't done that much marketing.
0: Right, right. I have to take you back, though, and ask you, what were you doing as a kid going door <laughs> to door asking people if they're happy? Right. What was that about?
1: I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> It's so it's such a nerdy like sweet thing. Um, I, I just I, I've been very kind of from the get-go just very interested in what other people's experiences are. And, you know, the first thing I could think of is, you know, just my neighborhood and for some reason compelled to collect quantitative data about it. I mean, I didn't have the word for it at that point. I didn't know that's what I was doing. Um, But essentially, and, and I got to talk to so many different people and kind of see where they're at and, you know, what makes them tick and, you know, all those things. So it was really interesting. And, you know, I used to also, I don't know if you remember K-PRO, uh, this is before mac days uh, but essentially uh, kind computers, of computers yeah, right yeah like big clunky things with the you know keyboard that folds out and anyways oh, i would yeah. like it, it didn't work it was my dad's old computer and you know i would just you know fake punch in uh, data <laughs> entry <laughs> so Fake Just it till what, you make it. Exactly. I, w- I was uh, practicing for what I do now. So, um, and that's the thing too, you know, when I say go for it, uh, a lot of it is about, you know, really what's deep in your DNA that's kind of calling to be put out there. Um, you might not have a good explanation for it or others might kind of scrunch their face at it, but it's, it's there and it needs to come out. And especially childhood can often provide a really good insight into what that might be. If there's something you're drawn to that you just couldn't stop doing and no reason for it because nobody else is telling you to do it, that's usually pretty good insight.
0: Did you uh, come up with any conclusions in this (laughs) early stage study of yours? Did you find out whether people are happy or not or what kind of people are happy or what makes them happy?
1: You know, it's a really good question. I, I found on the whole that people well, one, they were confused that I was showing up asking if they're happy. <laughs> they were a little taken aback. Um, and also, I think on the whole, I was surprised by how few people were happy. And I think that might have been in a kind of a, an aha moment for me that, uh, you know, depending on people's circumstances and what they're going through. And of course, having somebody show up. Yeah, by surprise, asking you might not, you know, be the shining moment for somebody. Um, but I, I did find that people, you know, were were not as happy as I thought. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do with that information at that point. But, uh, you know, maybe I should have submitted it to the city <laughs> to let them know uh, for them to take action. But uh, I wasn't at the recommendation stage just yet.
0: Wow. I think you need to redo that survey one of these days, and we'll we'll find out if anything's changed. So true. Kai, tell me, why should we be addressing gender inclusion and sexual orientation inclusion separately in the workplace? What makes them two different issues?
1: Yeah, there's sometimes a lot of confusion about that. I think mainly because the LGBTQ+, plus or the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender and queer community has kind of operated as a whole to move things forward in terms of rights. And so, sometimes the general public kind of sees those as all the same thing, when gender is kind of about one's felt experience uh, in terms of one's identity in gender, sexual orientation, so about who one is attracted to. And so, there's there's different dynamics at play. So, sexual orientation, you know, thinking about, you know, partners or uh, husbands, wives, uh, spouses, and, and the dynamics and relationship around that, also about when or how how to disclose one's sexual orientation at work gender is is more about you know one's experience of those and the gendered assumptions that society has and that are at play. Uh, so, oftentimes, we are looking at somebody's kind of external and making assumptions about what gender they are and what pronouns they use. And so, there's there's different dynamics around that that, you know, uh, are at play within a workplace context, but also as a customer as well. And so, these kind of gendered assumptions are what we are unpacking and reassembling uh, that are different, but also related to with sexual orientation. And so, really, to do them separately, um, but also to make sure that both get advanced within uh, organizations that, as both are really important. So I think the gender one does require a bit more attention to the details that maybe have been uh, less understood or, or invisible to date and to fill the, fill that picture out, essentially.
0: Right. I tend to think that assumptions exist because they're convenient, they're, they're, they're easy um, they let us glide over issues that we either don't know exist or don't want to talk about and get straight into whatever other things are out there. Do you see many organizations that still work on the old binary norms, male, female, and, and, and are are they is it hard for them to make the adjustment to seeing things in, in this broader context?
1: Hmm. Yes, I would say so. It's um, such an ingrained thing in our society to only think that there's men and women or boys and girls, and so and and we don't necessarily see that readily within a workplace context. But what workplaces or even uh, organizations are kind of. Um, inundated with uh, gender. Uh, When we think about washrooms and change rooms or the gender on forms and surveys, even programs and services are sometimes gendered, which sometimes makes sense. And we do want to continue that, say, like a women in leadership. But oftentimes, we haven't thought through how either trans women are included in that or whether non-binary people might be welcome in that context, right? So, it's just... it. There's, there's so much there to unpack. And a lot of it actually pertains to an overemphasis of gender, where sometimes it actually doesn't make sense to reference it. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And to, to have those kind of honest and c- candid conversations about where and when it's overutilized to kind of pull back on that. And then in some instances, especially for thinking about equity objectives, we want to you know um, advance that, but make sure we expand it too, so that we have everyone in, included, that might be experiencing marginalization based on gender. So, oftentimes, we very much focus on women's issues, uh, which is really important, and we need to continue that. Uh, But making sure we fold in, you know, trans and non-binary folks into that experience and understanding within organizations. But the binary is still very much uh, alive uh, within organizations. And we, we may be working on this for, for a few more years to, to get to a place where we'll have kind of relaxed uh, that a bit more.
0: Well, that's job security for you,
1: I guess so. Although I would love to work myself out of a job uh, around this. That it, it's so it kind of imbued in in people's uh, minds and thinking that uh, they don't they don't need trans focused services anymore. Uh, so that's that's a happy goal to be working towards. And I'm sure I'll find other data uh, entry opportunities uh, beyond gender diversity. But
0: <laughs> right, one of the I guess. Uh, Assumptions in the inclusivity space is that diversity, embracing diversity, enables innovation. And mm. I'm wondering if you can speak to that. Do, do, do you have any experience seeing that, uh, that that business innovation can come out of, you know, embracing the uh, embracing these issues and embracing these differences?
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, that's the thing probably that excites me the most is when we're able to not only address the issues and challenges that transgender and non-binary people face in an organization, but if we've looked at it um, in a comprehensive way, we sometimes are able to come up with solutions that take less staff time uh, or that save money in some other way or that even make money uh, for a company. You know, it's kind of this, this sometimes elusive win Win situation. Uh, I really like to to work towards that as we go through this type of process. And there's been many kind of examples of it. Uh, you know, whether we're thinking about insurance, right? Insurance as you know, we've done it to date, has been primarily based on sex differences. If we're thinking about, um, you know, life insurance or health, uh, you know, there, there's various ways or even auto insurance, uh, especially in Alberta, it's still kind of based on sex. And so trying to think through what would it look like if we didn't use sex? What would um, be a kind of an alternative or a set of alternatives? And that maybe providing a better model uh, to costing risk, essentially what we're kind of measuring as risk. And what are we tying it to? Sport is another area where, you know, there's there's this kind of rife for opportunity to rethink sport. Um, and it's not that we need to, you know, totally revamp it, but there's ways that right now non-binary people aren't really included in it. And dorm spaces, uh, which is a big thing within universities, um, as well as um, kind of commercial offerings, is, you know, that, There's been a lot of really interesting work on um, making that less of an effort for staff because if there's not a consideration of trans and non-binary, often they're running around trying to figure out where to place them, uh, which takes a lot of work. And sometimes you have to ask invasive questions and nobody wants to do that, right? Yeah, that's sticky. Right? So those are some of the kind of examples of innovation that help both the trans and non-binary people as well as the company.
0: Right. I noticed that one of your first uh, client, one of your earliest clients was the hosteling movement. Mm -hmm. You think, yeah, how do they, with their sort of affiliated but not owned Mm. um, spaces all over the world, Mm. how how do they even begin to deal with issues like this? Were you able to help them?
1: Absolutely. And that ended up being really interesting and insightful to understand and really deep uh, dive into their systems and their practices and their procedures uh, to to more fully understand what's going on for them. Because it's not just about making things better for trans and non-binary people. We're very careful to make sure it's practical on the ground. Um, of course, you know, so, Any change is gonna be a little uncomfortable uh, at the outset, um, but really trying to make it uh, of benefit to them as well. And we're able to kind of get that um, uh, kind of reconfigured in a way where uh, trans people would be more included. Safety was still at the core, um, but there was some rethinking around how safety was delivered.
0: Can you think of any other example for me of how gender diversity can drive innovation in a business?
1: There's so much there. A lot of it tends to be where there are pain points for trans and non-binary folks, but there's also pain points for uh, cisgender men and women. Uh, So, cisgender is just non-transgender. And basically ends up what we tend to do is is a very simple equation of um, who to what. So, I'll give you an example. Oftentimes, uh, there'll be requirements for, they'll say, you know, for a job requirement, you know, we want people, uh, we want, um, you know, men mostly to do this kind of heavy labor job, right? So, this idea that we have that men are strong and women aren't um, doesn't quite, Pan out in reality. And so reconfiguring that in a way that says people who can lift 50 pounds does a better cer- a job of including women who can lift uh, 50 pounds, non-binary people who can lift 50 pounds without, and then also making it okay for men who can't lift 50 pounds, right? And for them not to be kind of less of a man. So there's just these kinds of uh, ways of reconfiguring our thinking uh, that allow for more people to participate uh, and to be seen in that. And for them to know if it's applicable to them too, right? So I think it's that specificity and precision that's really important.
0: Wow. I love that example A because it's 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 really practical and it makes so much sense. And it also and and, and there's also something liberating uh, for people who are not transgender but you know may not always be comfortable with with the the stereotypes out there. So mm-hmm. that I mean I don't I don't know if I can lift 50 pounds. <laughs> Probably not. Let's see. My dog is 40. I can lift her. I could do 50 pounds. Okay. But what, but, but what if I couldn't? Um, right. So so there, 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 there's something really satisfying about saying, hey, we get closer to who you are when mm-hmm. we make distinctions like this.
1: Yeah, it's individualized, which I think is really important. And to, to your point, it helps not just trans and non-binary folks, but especially think about kind of, um, you know, labor-intensive jobs. That's where often these kind of very strong gendered notions can be at play in ways that actually don't serve a whole bunch of genders, uh, particularly women, but also I would say men too, like you were just saying. And so, how can we kind of t- take a step back from that and shift over, but still be practical? Because we're just kind of remapping onto something else, um, but that something else is more is, is clearer and um, it doesn't have that baggage around it.
0: When your clients hire you and they're, they're well-meaning and they see this as a problem to be solved as a project, let's get this done and <laughs> we'll move on to other things, how, how does that work? Because it seems to me that it's very easy to say, adopt some things and say, okay, this is done, as opposed to saying, we have to transform The way we look at individuals and this is a journey. So how do you help companies understand that this is sort of a long-term fundamental transformation as opposed to a few quick changes on survey forms and uh, and on on the bathroom doors?
1: Mm -hmm. I, I used to try to convince people at the outset and I realized pretty quickly that one, it's hard to explain without experiencing um, and a view into it that I just started the journey with folks wherever they were at and pretty pretty quickly, usually, you know, a few meetings in, people start to see the scale and weight and the gravity and on their own, right? Without me having to say anything except to present and show and illustrate and, and whatnot. And so the doing of the work does the explanation for me. Um, and people then sign up for more things to to do more work uh, in, in a way that makes sense. You know, we were talking about budgets before, um, but really, I find that people are very willing and they, they get it pretty quickly on a deep level. And to see also what we were just talking about, the benefit uh, to more than just trans and non-binary folks. So, you know, I find that that transforms their journey way more than the words that I speak.
0: Right, right. Uh, your website mentions some guiding principles mm. in, in when working in the gender inclusion space. So what are these principles and how are <laughs> they helpful to employers?
1: They've really organically grown out of all the work that we've done. And these are kind of motifs across the different industry sizes of companies and whatnot. So these are kind of, always present and can really shed light on solutions. Uh, So it's privacy, safety, flexibility, choice, and fairness. And with each one of them, we have a bit of a tagline to kind of summarize what they are. So privacy is my story to tell. So really, whether it's, you know, in a washroom context or change room context or, you know, personal records in terms of especially legal name, uh, if it's not been changed for a trans person can be um, a sensitive uh, topic that. They don't want others to see. Uh, there's choice, so not just two options, right? A men's and a women's washroom, uh, man and woman category on forms. We want more than just uh, those two options. Flexibility is meet me where I'm at. So uh, really, sometimes you need um, programs that uh, include trans people uh, or everyone, really. But And then there's sometimes a need for a specific trans program where people are not ready to join the general population. One example of that is a trans-inclusive swim that happens at Templeton Pool here in Vancouver. So those people aren't ready to go swimming with everyone else just yet. Uh, So they need those options, right? And then of course, safety is an obvious one, but safety broadly speaking and, and measuring that with behavior. Oftentimes we use gender as a proxy for safety. And we're trying to re, reimagine safety um, by using behavior. Um, so is this person, uh, you know, staring inappropriately, touching inappropriately, like those behavioral aspects that we know are unsafe rather than this person is a man, ergo X, right? And then fairness is the last one, and that's the same standard of treatment. Sometimes trans people get held to a different or a higher standard. Uh, One example of that is in washrooms and change rooms, there's an expectation that they be more modest, right? And so, is that something you would expect of a cisgender person or a non-trans person? If you answer that question with no, then why why are you making that distinction, right? Wow, so, so those are the five guiding principles that uh, inform our solutions.
0: Privacy, safety, flexibility, choice, and fairness. Not too much to argue with there. Does that mm-hmm. help sort of break it down and, ma- and, and, and d- 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 does that help people see sort of the, 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 the bigger picture sooner? Yes, and
1: it allows them to ask questions that if they're coming up with their own solutions to kind of test them against any unconscious bias. So they're actually a really powerful tool for anyone embarking on their own journey to just to check in with themselves and to be like, you know, would I do this? You know, is there privacy? Are there more than two, three options? So it's, it's a kind of nice kick of the, the tires before you uh, run around the track.
0: Right, right. Okay, just as we sort of wind down here, I'm just wondering, given the, the current pandemic, so many people working remotely, um, what considerations should employers be uh, giving to, to adapting their work from home protocols to reflect uh, inclusion?
1: Mm, yeah, that's a really good question, and you know I think there's a lot more information being gathered on this topic specifically, and of course you know there's there's adverse impacts to to many folks, especially trans and non-binary folks. Particularly, you know, higher rates of, co, uh, you know, having COVID and, and whatnot, and that having a cascading impact on them being able to take care of themselves and family and, and work and so forth. Um, there's also more isolation uh, that I don't think is exclusive to trans and non-binary folks, but certainly if their family relationships are strained uh, or non-existent, uh, that can add to their already isolated, you know, position within uh, their experience. There's also some kind of unexpected positive impacts from COVID um, that I think. Or i kind of wanted to kind of share a bit uh, of course it's early days so we don't really know you know how how big of a scale this is but um, i have heard from some folks that it is easier to come out um, because there's it's remote so disclosing that to say a manager or human resources there's a buffer there so in case it kind of goes off the rails there's more control that they have over that situation or they they can can disconnect from that and once that call's done it's like well it's not in this space right You're not taking in that energy. Um, there's also, right? I thought that was fascinating, and you know, I've heard that now, handful well, not even more than a handful of times, and so of course, I'd love to collect data on that to better understand it. But there's some early indications, also, less misgendering, which uh, is really interesting because a lot more people are putting their pronouns in, say, Zoom uh, in their name. So, you can see it as somebody is talking. You can see their name in brackets, their pronouns. Uh, So, it's easier reference point, but we don't have that in person, right? You don't slap a a pronoun on somebody's forehead. Um, Sometimes people have pins, so that's very useful. Um, But just these visual reminders are very helpful to reducing misgendering. And so, just encouraging. So, come Companies, what they can do is encourage folks, um, not just with their Zoom account or whatever their platform is, but email signatures and really explain why that's important uh, to have. Well, anyone can provide their pronoun, not just trans and non-binary folks, but it's really useful.
0: Right, right, and 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 that's brilliant because uh, COVID obviously is a time of change for. Mm. So many people in so many ways, you know, above and beyond the obvious medical emergency. And so it's and we're getting used to change. So uh, <laughs> using it as a platform for change is also a very rational idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, true actually. And and you're right, I do find that there's more receptivity amongst organization to make uh, bigger changes because they've they were see that they were able to pivot to work from home even though you know there was some resistance to that initially uh before covid but now they're like well we did it in you know a handful of weeks and what else can we do
0: wow kai kai scott of trans focus consulting thank you for this conversation today thank you for saying go for it and encouraging (laughs) people to 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 do as well as think um really interesting to hear your story and how you're innovating in such a groundbreaking era uh, area and uh interesting to see. Uh, one of the things I love is these guiding principles that help really focus the conversation. And I think that that's a tip that a lot of entrepreneurs can take away about developing shortcuts that enable people to understand the very complex nature of their work. And as you say, get them to ask questions, create a conversation and build a relationship from there. So lots to learn. Kai, where can people get a hold of you or find out more about TransFocus?
1: Yeah, you can reach me at uh, www.transfocus.ca. We're also on Twitter at TransFocused. uh, Just TransFocused. Yes, that's right. There we go.
0: Thank you so much. Good luck with all the great work you're doing. And we will talk again.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.